0: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm Alberto Ligia, your host from London. Please subscribe to the show and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference, indeed. Before we kick things off, a big heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is a mission-first technology company seeking to increase empathy in the world. They use the internet as a source of knowledge, inspiration, and communication and they work on issues including climate change, gender equity, and health across the world. They're based in Singapore with teams in New York, Zurich, London, Delhi, and they're overall a bunch of really great people. Quilt believes that the true value of the internet has yet to be seen. Yes, the internet has been used to index data, store photos, and conduct e-commerce, but it truly has not yet been used to understand the other. And this is the mission that Quilt AI is on, that of converting the internet into a space of understanding and appreciation. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back onto the show Matt Hyde, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Scouts UK. Please note that he is a returning guest, so he was originally with us on the 14th of July last year. And back then, we spoke about their strategy and had a really great top-level conversation. What we are going to do today is focus on the challenges that they've been facing because of this pandemic over the year and the very difficult decisions they've had to do in terms of restructuring, in terms of redundancies, in terms of disposing property assets. And so we're going to be focusing on that. It's going to be a very candid conversation. A very heartfelt conversation. And without uh, further ado, Matt, welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today.
1: Great to be back. Thank you, Alberto.
0: Tell us a little bit about the Scouts, um, what it looks like globally, what it looks like here in the UK.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, Scouting prepares young people with skills for life and has been around for 113 years on a, on a global scale. We are present in over 190 countries, and there are 53 million scouts worldwide. Um, in the UK, 460,000 uh, young people, boys and girls, all genders, and uh, they are uh, supported and developed, uh, um, inspired by 160,000 amazing uh, adult volunteers. And there are 60,000 young people on our waiting list hmm. who. Um, who are unable to experience the, the, the magic and power of scouting, even though 160,000 adult volunteers is by far and away the highest we've ever had. So, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible movement. It uh, changes young people's lives. It's got an incredibly important role to play in the country, I would argue, even more now than ever. And it's a national institution. So it's a real privilege to be, um, uh, to be in a leadership role um, supporting those volunteers and and changing the lives of those young people. That's great.
0: Now the Scouts here in the UK—it's not just one organisation. Actually, all the different chapters. T- tell us a little bit about how it's structured in the UK, because you have a lot of independent charities that constitute the Scouts, right?
1: Yeah, that's an understatement. We have eight thousand separate charities. We're a federation of eight thousand separate Scout charities, seven thousand two hundred uh, Scout groups. Uh, about 700 uh, district uh, uh, districts uh, who are all separate charities as well, like the Scout Groups, uh, and then about 80 uh, counties are all separate charities, and then uh, the nations are, um, the devolved nations of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have their own charities as well, and they kind of all, Uh, orbit the centre if you like of the the national body um, that I'm kind of directly accountable for um, which provides support to those uh, charities support to those uh, volunteers uh, is ultimately accountable for um, many of the things that um, happen in in scouting and we're a royal charter body so um, we basically through an act of parliament were created, uh, uh, and and we are therefore empowered to have created all these uh, separate scout bodies that that are out there. I mean, it, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting structure. Uh, I'm not sure if we were starting it today that mm. we would have necessarily followed a federated ch- uh, model of 8,000 separate charities. I suppose one of the advantages it does have, however. Is that for each of those groups they are owned by the local community Mm -hmm. and there is a sort of I suppose an ambition that many certainly public sector bodies have about how do you get the benefits of scale and uh, national profile combined with um, genuine local localism local ownership Um, A community-driven endeavour. And that's the biggest advantage. that The the, the local scout group close to me is owned by the community. And therefore, you get deep levels of engagement and passion. And I do think it is a real strength of the model. It's, of course, not unique in in any sense. It's certainly in the UK, other brands like Samaritan Systems Advice, uh, Mind, uh, all have that um, federated uh, model.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when we when we started talking a little bit earlier, we were talking about the fact that you have four hundred and sixty thousand young people in the Scouts here in the UK, and then we sort of referenced the fact that that was pre pandemic. Sure. Mean, what are the what what is the the landscape looking like now in terms of those young people who are able to do the Scouts or not able to do the Scouts? How do you even measure who's in, who's out and how it's working?
1: well we we undertake an annual census uh, sounds very biblical, but basically we do a count every year um, uh, of the uh, on on the thirty first of January, so we will have a clearer view on that um, come the, come the spring. Uh, the pandemic has as with many organizations, had a devastating effect on um scouting generally although due to the innovation adaptability of our volunteers supported by our staff team uh, we have shown uh, great uh, resilience throughout um this last uh, 8 months so on the uh, 16th of March we had a we had a kind of a test day with all the staff being sent at home oh, to as yeah. a work from home day and within 24 hours uh face-to-face scouting um stopped yeah and that um obviously went through the whole of the initial lockdown remarkable really within a week we had put together 200 activities that were subsequently accessed by about 550,000 families including my family including your family well there you go um uh, uh scouts and non-scouts interestingly and um, we were very conscious we wanted to make these uh, readily available to people who were both in the scout movement and not in the scout movement as our kind of contribution to that early lockdown period and particularly when young people were at home not seeing their friends um not uh not in school um and, and that was just remarkable really the response we had to that and then we had scout leaders, many scout leaders. About eighty-five percent of our groups, we believe, were offering sessions on um, Zoom or equivalent uh, at home. So, uh, a structured program, just as you would have got on the scout uh, in the scout heart, albeit that um, this was scouting uh, adapting to a dig- digital age, um, which just frankly would have been unthinkable a few years ago. It was quite remarkable how. Uh, as so many people have seen, the um, the speed with which we moved in terms of our digital transformation, um, we moved quicker in uh, five months than than we'd done in the last five years. Um, and so, people were able to get a um, to see their friends, to get a structured program, yeah. and then in the back end of July and August we started to see the return of some face-to-face scouting. Now, that took a lot of work with the government uh, in order to develop guidance for the youth sector, which was subsequently overseen by a body called the National Youth Agency, um, who uh, we worked alongside to ensure that young people could return safely uh, and deliver face-to-face, and there could be face-to-face, socially distanced uh, scouting um, in, in bubbles of... Uh, 15 um, supported by up to five adults Mm. and obviously COVID secure risk assessed a lot of effort for volunteers to have to go through to to return um, that provision and we've got we've had about 40 45 percent now of our groups who've been returning to -to face-to-face scouting albeit that of course in England we have recently gone back into Uh, A a sort of second lockdown different Mm -hmm. from the first in that young people can go back to school and that's put a break on the momentum that we were getting to return young people face to face Mm -hmm. the response of young people and adult volunteers interestingly uh, where they had seen a return to face to face was quite remarkable the just getting young people outside the clear impact on the mental health and well-being of those young people was remarkable but what surprised me and I say this as someone who's a who's a volunteer as well was the positive mental health impact on the adult volunteers Mm -hmm. who also had seen the return of face-to-face scouting Uh, and we'll see where we go from here it has inevitably had an impact on our volunteer numbers Um, many volunteers have either uh, have either been shielding or are uh, key workers and therefore just haven't had the capacity. And, and of course, many people's lives have been much, much more complicated, which is having an impact on their ability to volunteer. And therefore, because of that, that is having an impact on our on, on our provision and therefore our, our youth numbers as well. And we'll be clear on what the, um, we're pretty clear that there'll be a, a decline, not everywhere. Interestingly, some groups have seen an increase um in 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 both volunteers and youth members because parents and carers have seen in their own homes the impact this is having on on young people's lives so yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we'll, 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 see. We'll know clearer in, in the spring, but it, it's had an impact and it's had a massive impact on our trading income nationally as well, which is, um, been pretty devastating.
0: Yeah. So, and let's talk about the finances and the impact that this has had on your, on your revenue streams and your financial position. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, like a lot of charities that are reliant on self-earned income, it's, it's had a massive impact. So those charities that are probably more reliant on uh, public sector funding have for now been less affected by and large from the pandemic. Whereas those of us that are reliant on either membership fee income, which for for twenty 2020, twenty twenty one has been okay because we got the membership income just before the pandemic started. But for next year, and this is about I don't know sixty percent of our income for next year is a concern if our membership numbers go down. But also the remaining forty percent of our income is from our trading areas, um, a little bit of, of fundraising, but mainly commercial. So we've got a. Uh, retail arm, uh, we had two conference centres, we have got a, a insurance broker, captive insurance company, and uh, also uh, a number of activity centres. The, the The insurance broker has by and large been um, pretty much unaffected apart from things like travel insurance. But the, the big income drive for us is our retail arm, which would normally generate a profit of about £4 million And we'll be lucky if it breaks even this year. Mm -hmm. That provides everything from uniforms, souvenirs, um, equipment, um, uh, products that support the delivery of face-to-face scouting. And of course, with no face-to-face scouting, there's obviously been less people uh, purchasing those items. Um, uh, Then our conference centres, likewise, no conferencing really at all, both at our central London location or at Gilwell Park. Um, we were in two minds whether to close the conference centre at our Gilwell Parks, our our head office in uh, Essex, in um, Epping Forest. We've subsequently decided to to close that. Um, And then the activity centres, I mean, the outdoor leisure sector has been devastated by uh, COVID and uh, we're not unique by any means because just because there's been no residential bookings
0: sure.
1: um so you look at charities like the um uh, the yha the youth Hostel association and they have been uh, almost destroyed by uh, this um because they've just that this is their whole business and they haven't had people have been able to um uh, to stay there in anywhere near the numbers they would do mm. would do normally yeah um so uh the very challenging Very challenging. Um, uh, In response, uh, we have uh, accessed the government support via the the furlough scheme, the job retention scheme. We, of course, stopped any uh, recruitment immediately. We stopped spending uh, immediately. And we uh, have now, or by the end of the year, we'll have made about 30% of the staff redundant in order to get a grip on the, on the situation and ensure that we, um, we are able to see our way through the crisis how many people is that how many people is that's 30%? about um so we've gone from about 390 down to 260 270 depend, you know it depends mm-hmm. whether you take full-time equivalents or roles but basically that's the kind of the gist of it most of those in the commercial areas or back office areas our board took the decision um as much as possible to protect the frontline support to adult volunteers I mean, that could, that includes things like our safeguarding and safety team that provide, that are essential to ensuring uh, that young people are, are, are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also our regional teams that will be uh, critical in terms of supporting local volunteers, local scout groups to uh, recruit uh, volunteers, to support those volunteers. Um, uh, That was a very conscious effort. But we had, but but even with that, we would have got to a point where this time next year, we would start to to have worked through our cash reserves. And therefore, um, and and, you know, who knows? you'll know that, you know, some people think we might be going into a period of, of rolling pandemics. And so you might have got through this one, but how do you get through the next one? And therefore, in the last couple of weeks, we've taken the difficult decision to sell a couple of our um, assets, a, an activity centre in um, uh, in Kent, which has been very, very painful because lots of people who have clearly very strong memories and love that, campsite and activity centre and also a, our central London building Baden-Powell House hmm. in South Kensington which um, we had started to look at pre the pandemic um, partly because for such a uh, valuable site in central London the actual usage by scouts was about two percent it had changed so much from its uh, original purpose that we were we were reviewing anyway whether it was a giving us the return or or the yield on the asset but also it was it really delivering our mission and that's one of the things i suppose that's been most um, profound for me in as with any crisis but one crisis like this which frankly was totally unthinkable this time last year i mean there we were with six months reserves healthy balance sheet a um, uh, clear way, for, a clear plan for the future, totally being wiped aside um, within within um, uh, within a year uh, in terms of its impact. But what it forced us to do was really focus on our mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have we? How is everything we're doing, the um, staff team, the activities, but also our balance sheet, helping us really to deliver our, our um, mission. And, and inevitably, as a result of that, because of the nature of the crisis, you, you do have to get braver to take tough decisions, at however difficult they are. And you know how difficult they're going to be to the, um, for many people in the scout movement. But what we were clear on and what, what became a sort of dawning realisation, I suppose, Alberto, over the late summer was um, this isn't going to go away quickly. Even with the, you know, with with vaccines now being more um, developed, and therefore we needed a decisive plan that was a bridge to the future, that would see us through the pandemic, and that would be able to uh, uh, replenish our reserves so that we're fit for purpose for the future. But ultimately, that we're deploying a bal- our balance sheet in a way that's really furthering our charitable objectives.
0: Yeah. And these difficult, very, very difficult decisions to dispose of these assets. Who, who says, look, guys, I think it's time to reassess the assets that we're holding here because we, we got to dispose of some of these.
1: Yeah, well, we looked at it very as difficult a, to do. Yeah, it very. it is really difficult. And um, I mean, to some extent, you look at it dispassionately and it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get to the point of saying, well, OK, you're going to run out of your cash reserves. So in order to get through the next year. Um, recognising that your membership fees will be likely be lower next year, your trading income will will start to recover. I, mean, I do think this will be a V-shaped recovery, both in terms of our business model, but also in terms of numbers returning. But you can't take that for granted. It will need investment, and particularly in some of those communities that have been most impacted by COVID-19. And if if, then your choice is, are you going to borrow a lot of money, many millions of pounds, or are you going to look at those assets that are not performing in the way that uh, they should be and that therefore enables you to think suddenly, actually, we can be very well placed as we come through the pandemic when other people won't have the luxury of um, that. Um, that those those assets, and where demand, I believe, will have increased, not decreased, in terms of young people's needs, and where the youth sector will have been, um, I mean, worse than decimated. It will be, it, it will be. Um, uh, we, I mean, I think the, the the latest numbers that we've seen, we've been releasing in the youth sector, is that one in four that youth charities won't be here anymore. Mm. Uh, I saw a piece of research earlier today saying um, half of charities will be have no reserves within six months. So it, that's the landscape that we are going into. Uh, so when you go back to your mission, you've got to say, well, we're going to be here for those young people when you really, uh, when the reality bites in terms of the the long-term impact i mean even if you get vaccines rolling out by spring the long tail impact of this uh, horrific virus is still yet to be felt i think and we and 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 therefore as as a leader you have to kind of therefore say um well What's our responsibility as a as a organisation and a movement to be there for those young people and those communities as we come throughout the other side? Therefore, you have to take those tough decisions. Hmm. And therefore, in our, you know, in answer to your question, therefore, the senior leadership team. We manage, I managed to get twenty four hours with my relatively new um, top team just before we went before restrictions started coming back in. Um, I think that would have been, I have to say, I think that would have been very difficult to have had some of those conversations if it hadn't have been face to face. But we then took that uh, analysis and recommendations to our to our board who who backed the decision.
0: Yeah. Now, if we're taking a pessimistic tack on things and things don't quite improve as quickly as we would hope, the disposal of these uh, properties enables you to maintain uh, your operations for the near and medium term or
1: uh, quite quite a way actually that's not the bigger concern the bigger concern is um i, I mean in a way the the sale of the assets um uh, give us a uh, a safe harbor mm-hmm. um we can see the shoreline the real battleground for the next year is how do you get to the shore and so um uh, that's that that will be very much influenced or or Um, shaped by what our membership numbers are in the spring. And again, therefore, do you have to cut deeper or do you you borrow because you know that that you're going to get to the right place eventually? Mm. But as I say, you know, in a way we're lucky because, you know, our uh, predecessors made uh, some good calls in the past that meant that we're in a position where we're able to do that. And there'll be many other organisations and charities who just can't, who, who, who... you know, there is no shoreline, and yeah. they won't be they won't be with us anymore.
0: Yeah. And now to take the opposite side and be optimistic, which I am, and i'm I'm quite hopeful that one of the various phase three um, vaccines will kick in and um, help us uh, come back to some sort of normality, What are the implications of having shed double digits percentage of your workforce uh, in terms of being able to get back on track to where you were? and sure. keep on uh, grabbing onto the, those original pre-pandemic plants and trying to drive things forward um, the best way possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a good question because it, it's, it's actually different for the different business units. So if you take our retail arm, uh, they f- are pretty confident, the, the senior team there, that we will maintain a leaner staff base and with the changes that they've invested in technology, we will be in a, a a pretty good position to to bounce back quite quickly. And they've they've moved to a more much more agile structure, a more flexible model that I think places them in in a very good position. Mm-hmm. Uh, adventure centres, our activity centres, is is a is a more difficult one, and I, I should have said that in the as well as disposing that activity centre, we went from seven to four activity centres and two, two of those um, activity centres we gave back to the their scout counties. And w- whilst we've cut fairly lean at the moment, um, we are um, uh, have given consideration to how do you uh, recover quickly. Um, I mean, one of the challenges there is that lots of our trade would norm for next year so for twenty one twenty two, would normally have been booked by now mm-hmm. um or certainly going into march and you're not going to get that so it's going to be a shallower recovery i think um and we're very much focused on uh 2022 as as our as our recovery point and again because of how we have re-engineered our team there we think actually we'll, we should be in a position where our, our surpluses will increase uh, after that point. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, the key thing for us was retaining uh, that frontline support for volunteers because that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And 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 that I, I, the feeling of the board um, was that would have been a false economy to have cut those areas because those are the very people who will help to get scouting back up and running, which in turn, I mean, the, the core driver here is in order to get more young people experiencing scouting and changing their lives. But in addition, it also means the business model starts working as well because more people come back and they start buying uniforms. And so you get the double benefit of that, of that also. So we've, we've kind of thought this through for all of those different areas. And then as I say, you know, something like our insurance business has, um, has come through relatively unscathed. Hmm.
0: What are the, What are the implications for, for staff morale? I mean, normally under normal circumstances, if 30% of the workforce were made redundant, morale would be devastated here. You know, it's not like you guys are thinking, oh, well, let's just cut costs for the sake of it and get rid of 30%. Uh, you know, you, you've been facing extraordinary challenges. How understanding are the staff? What is the morale like?
1: Um, I, I think he's different across the organization, as I say, because of the um the of diversity of our portfolio, different parts of the operation have been affected differently um, uh, I, I mean morale uh, again like so many organizations has been um, uh, has been uh clearly affected I mean we were you know just before not not that long ago we got investors in people gold. The culture we have built is one of deep, deep engagement. And again, suddenly we found ourselves a um, relying on um, technology and, and working from home like everyone else. That took a shift in mindset, particularly for those of us that are extroverts and like mm. being around other people. Um, and have had a certain modus operandi throughout our careers, suddenly we're having to think, uh, differently and, and adapt. Yeah. Uh, but B, I mean, half the, more than half the workforce were on furlough for, for many months and that was really hard for them Um really hard for them and, and hard for the, um, people who were still working and often picking up more work, uh, who were also fatigued um, people working from home, who um, particularly those living on their own, their own. So we've been tracking right the way through people's mental health and well-being, um, providing additional support there right the way through. Um, uh, really um, regular engagement in terms of I would be doing at one point I was doing fortnightly um, Zoom calls uh, with all the uh, with all the staff. Um, that's now gone back to, to monthly, but we do, I do something where every month anyone can ask anonymous questions mm. for about an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, we were, we were doing those much more regularly. I think actually we did weekly and then we moved to fortnightly. Um, uh, that was really important. And I yeah. think the, um, it's part it's part of the leadership style that i've um, I've kind of encouraged in the organization as well, which is about um transparency openness, humility, reminding people about our values, but also saying you know if you think I or any of my team or the team below them are not living those values, call them out um and and but every step of the way they're then saying, okay, here's where we're at here are the implications of um a bit like your question earlier here's the pessimistic look here's the Mm. optimistic look and here's what we're doing and so one of the things we said to them was um look we think there might be government funding in the in the autumn but if it doesn't come then we're going to have to do a phase two of cuts and the money didn't come so um we were rather than just saying we think this will be fine we we'd all every step of the way we would tried to be Open and honest with people. That comes with its own uh, challenges because you know people want often they want you know particularly in a situation of such uncertainty and and anxiety people want you to say it's going to be fine but you can't say that because no one could say that because and even now um, uh, there's still a large degree of of uncertainty. Mm. Um, uh, all you can do is I think be open. Humble, honest um, and also listening and engaging to where there are concerns, so we also have been doing pulse surveys that um, tracked that morale, tracked um, the support people were getting, allowed us to identify where parts of the operation were probably not giving the the level of support that people mm-hmm. needed, and we're continuing to do those those pulse surveys at the moment but not an, a really difficult time for leaders in any role to understand how do you keep your, your uh, workforce with you at a time when you're having to make uh, further cuts and, and where there are divisions in that workforce as well. I mean, one of the things I am concerned about is, is that, I, I mean, I think where we'll get to is, is an environment of hybrid working. And I think that's a really, that's a that's one of the good things that will have come out of Mm -hmm. covid is all of our views that now you can work from home and actually get time back in your day and i've seen more of my family this year than i've probably ever done in my career Mm -hmm. um and so they're the upsides the downsides are that in an environment of teams and channels i think there's more um silo working there's a more of an atomization of um of working that is a challenge to an organization that's pride prided itself on collegiate working and team working you've got to work a lot lot harder when you're working at home yeah um to ensure that it's not just it, 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 you're not just working with your team, but how are you working as a team of teams? Yeah. Um. And and so, so I I think you know the sooner we we will be able to get back to face to face the better in that respect. Albeit that I I don't think we're going to be going back to five day working in the office, um like like uh like everyone else. And the final thing I'd just say on this is. Twenty twenty one. I mean the reason why we took these calls, um and had this bridge to the future was to get beyond a kind of rolling series of difficult conversations in staff meetings. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that in 2021, because we've got a plan that I think will see us through whatever the next year throws at us, um, we can say with more confidence, here are the sunlit uplands. Here is the future that we're now building again. Mm And it's going to look different from the past. And yes, we're less in numbers, but we are now. We're, we've got a plan to get through this. So let's get behind it and let's yeah. get that positive energy back of building that sense of possibility for the future.
0: It's good to hear that the uh, the optimistic streak seems to prevail in you, which is which is good. Uh, before we wrap things up, let me ask you, what would that key takeaway of yours be for our listeners? And I guess within that context of what we've been talking about now, and arguably any sort of senior leaders, senior leadership of uh, other charities and nonprofits who who are struggling, what what's the what's the key thing that you'd like to impart?
1: Well, I don't know whether there's it, it, it's one thing, mm-hmm. but I think the first thing that uh, I would draw out is to go back to your mission and is everything you're doing furthering your mission and are you and are you taking those difficult but courageous decisions that um you need to because sometimes and i think this is a moment where to build the new you have to give up some of the past and Mm -hmm. that's difficult and it's emotionally difficult And we often don't talk enough, I think, in leadership about the emotional um, drain on uh, leaders. And and it it is about a mindset shift that says, OK, we're going to build something new. And therefore, that means that we're going to have to take these difficult um, uh, decisions. Because if not, you might not be here or you won't be serving as many um, uh, of your beneficiaries in the future. Yeah. And then how are you adapting your strategy uh, in order to deliver that and in order to return to a time when you can be more optimistic about the future? But you kind of have to go down into the depths mm. of, of those difficult moments um, to to come out the other side. I mean, I find that the hardest bit. I mean, it caught, I mean, I I sat in twenty seven consultation meetings with with staff members, good, loyal, hard working people, talented people, who um, we were having to say goodbye to. Um, incredibly tough you know we've all many of us will have done restructures but i never like to say goodbye to really good people that's when it really really hurts um but um you know those are difficult decisions that you have to make and you have to do them with compassion and empathy But the hardest bit for me was not actually that the hardest bit was about six months before six weeks sorry before that when i was having to was coming to the realization that we had no choice but to go down this path and that's the bit where you kind of have that churning in your stomach and the sleepless nights because you you have to walk towards um the um the the ch- that challenging decision, in order because you know that that is the way you're going to get through, however difficult it is. Yeah. Um, and then you build your plan and you get through it. And um, uh, and and we will get through it, as will the country and the world. Um, uh, I'm I'm absolutely confident, um, and things will bounce back.
0: Matt, thank you so much for speaking from the heart and for being so candid with the very challenging journey that you and, and the team have had over the last year. I really very much appreciate it. And I know our listeners will as well. You've been listening to Matt Hyde, the chief executive officer of the Scouts UK, who is a returning guest and who is someone I consider a friend. And thank you very much, Matt. It's been a really good speaking with you today and very enlightening.
1: Well, thank you, Alberto, and you're a good friend of the Scouts, and uh, we need our friends at the moment, so really appreciate everything you're doing to support us as well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at Liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.